The following episode contains major plot points of movies. A spoiler warning is advised. This episode also contains topics that may be disturbing for some viewers, so viewer discretion is also advised. Hi, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I am your host, Colin. And I am Aaliyah. And how's it going this evening to all you fine people out there? Mm-hmm. I hope you all had a wonderful Halloween. Yeah. As much as we did. We just mostly just stayed in the house for the night. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. For Halloween, like, we just laid low this year and... I mean, we did stuff over the weekend, but... Yeah, because our anniversary is on October 30th, which was on a Monday this year. Both had to work, so we celebrated over the weekend. I know Monday was when I posted... The new episode, which happens sometimes. I try to shoot for Sundays, but then we get so caught up with the weekend sometimes, or sometimes scheduling gets a little hectic, and I can't get recordings and editings done until the weekend, so I end up having to kind of rush or put it off until Sunday. Yeah. So sometimes that will happen. But hopefully this will be coming out on Sunday, the 5th of November. Entirely, yes. True. Uh huh. So we're back to doing a review today. Like I said, I hope everybody enjoys the trivia and the game episodes that we do. It looks like they do way too much. They do. And I'm not, like I said last time, it's not that I don't appreciate people enjoying the trivias and the quizzes and the games, but I really do hope that people do take a chance to listen to the reviews because the reviews are just as fun and conversational as the trivia games. Mm hmm. So this week, we're going to be doing another movie review. We're going to be covering another independent film, another A24 film called The Witch. Yep. This one, thankfully, is not directed by Ari Aster like we had originally thought. Like, honestly, though, I thought we have done this before on here. but I, I think we talked about it briefly, but we never did, like, a full deep dive review. Oh, okay. But I think, in the, I think we said at that time, we were like, in the future, we will do a... A thing of this. But I will stress, or I will, you know, just for argument's sake, when I title this episode, I'm going to call it The Witch Re-Review. Because <laughs> I know we have talked about it a little bit in the past, but we're going to do a full-length review in this episode. But before we get into it, there are a couple of articles I wanted to read before we jump into it. This past weekend, Five Night at Freddy's was now released in theaters and on Peacock. And it's doing really well. Yeah, it's doing pretty well. I mean, for a video game franchise turned into a movie, I wasn't expecting it to do as well as it did. Yeah. But according to IGN, Five Nights at Freddy's won the Halloween weekend with a box office debut of $78 million in North America and $130 million globally, the highest grossing opening weekend for Blumhouse ever. That's awesome. So that is really great. And it is pretty decent from what Colin and I saw. I've never... Yeah. And Blumhouse really does re- deserve this win. Yeah, and we're not... And we're not gamers. We don't play a lot of video games like that. And when we Well, not those, but I've always been a gamer growing up, yeah. Well, I'm saying we're not the type of gamers that go on Twitch or yeah, no. review video games on YouTube. But... I mean, I've I have heard, friends who do, but yes. Right, but I we do know of the franchise. We do know of the video game Five Nights at Freddy's. And for the most part, I thought I understood the concept. But there's a whole lore behind the Five Nights at Freddy's backstory. And I heard a lot of people say that it was nice to see that the, this movie stayed true to the lore of Five Nights at Freddy's. So that's good to know, at mm-hmm. least from the fans' perspective. So I think... 
in short, this is a family-friendly movie. It's a little bit darker for a family-friendly movie, but mm -hmm. it is nonetheless like a PG-13 horror film, which is still considered family-friendly. I think the thing is to remember is that the plot indicates that children were murdered, but they don't actually show children being murdered, and mm. that's the thing. It's like in Coraline. The ghost children in Coraline are implied to be dead, but they never show how they die. Yeah, so you know? they are dead, but they're not? No, they are? they are dead, but their yeah. death is never shown on screen, but it is heavily implied. Well, yeah, that figures, yeah. Like in Five Night at Freddy's. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was pretty good. Which I didn't know that they did that for the game, like the, the Souls of Children or something. Mm -hmm. But what did you think about Five Night at Freddy's when we watched it? I thought it was interesting. <laughs> it was fucking weird, though. It was. Did you notice the Scream reference? Yeah, I think so. So, just to kind of give a little bit of a... a context. Movie, yeah, for context, Matthew Lillard is in the movie. Yes. Right? And he is widely known for his role as Stu Mocker from Scream. He was really evil as Stu Mocker. Okay, but look at me. You know how in every Scream movie, the ghost face killer always does that thing with the knife where they like wipe it with their hand? That's what he did in the movie. He did the same thing in Friday Night at Freddy's. Uh, that's what I, I don't want to spoil it because well, I don't want to go... Well, you just did. No, no. I don't want to spoil anything, but... Matthew Lillard's character does that in the movie, and it's a huge nod to the Scream franchise, which I think is really impressive. All right. Um, I did enjoy the little fun parts, and there was the serious parts of it, and there were some big actors in that movie. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't believe the woman who was from Some Kind of Wonderful and Benny and June was in it. Oh, yeah. I can't remember her name, but I do know who you're... She was also in the movie Fry Green Tomatoes with Kathy Bates. Yeah. I remember that movie. I like my tomatoes fried and green. But I have another one for you that's very cute. So no, I have a post here. It's a Facebook post from Horror Weekly, but it's in it's in regards to the movie we're going to be covering today. Uh. Charlie the Goat, who played Black Philip in The Witch, was so terrifying and frustrating on set that he is not allowed to work in show business and lives on a farm in North Carolina. Absolute king. Look at him. Oh my god, he looks jacked. He's so fluffy looking. I'm going to save this picture. I'm going to post it when we post the uh, you, episode. Would you wish Facebook. you ever ride him? No. Like a horse? You see those horns? Yeah, you could use them as steering wheels. No. <laughs> They're not steering wheels. I mean, you could steer with that thing, but yeah, I don't really you know if you can... Steering horns. Yeah. yeah. But I thought that was an interesting thing to share. I'm going to, like I said, I'm going to take the picture. I'm going to post it on our Instagram when I post the episode. But is there anything you want to talk about before we get into the review? Not really. I mean, I mean, we might as well get everyone excited just, you know, to hear about The Witch now. Okay. So, so yeah, we so are covering... So let's get into that. Yep, we are covering The Witch, which was released on October 18th of 2020... <laughs> Wait. I did not actually put down 2023. What the fuck? <laughs> Shut the fuck up, Colin. <laughs> The Witch was released in 2015, okay? Yeah. October 8th, October 18th, 2015. That was eight years ago? Yes, honey. Yes, it was okay. eight years ago. Oh, my dear eight God. Eight years ago. Has a runtime of an hour and 32 minutes and was written and directed by Robert Eggers. Your numbers are horrible today. This is his directorial <laughs> debut. His first ever movie made and directed by him. Anyway... <laughs> The premise is based on America's first witch hysteria in Windsor, Connecticut. 
set 62 years before the infamous Salem witch trials in colonial Massachusetts. The spelling of the title, The Witch, with two Vs, is how the word was written in the story's period because the letter W was not yet common use at the time. Which I find incredibly interesting because when you listen to the dialogue in this movie, they use words like woodst and like what a yeah, lot. Be- yeah, because it wasn't like common yet. Right. But, I mean, even though the word, or not the word, the letter W was familiar mm-hmm. in the English language at that time, mm-hmm. there was no like written depiction of the letter mm-hmm. W, which yeah. I think is interesting. Because, like, that opening scene alone where William is talking to the head elders of the plantation community in mm-hmm. the beginning, I looked at the, the dialogue, the script for that part. There's at least 13 W's. Isn't that weird? Oh, yeah, very weird. And in that conversation between William and the elders, there's 13 W's, which is interesting. Shouldn't be that many W's, right? There normally isn't, but 13 specifically, that's interesting. Well, I don't know if that was intentional, but well, I find Compared that, to now, like... I don't know if that was intentional, but that is very intriguing. But I do like the witch hysteria history and how it's often depicted in horror films. I would like to do a deep dive of the Salem Witch Trials and how it reflects... I want to do a deep dive on W's. How far they've gone in our history. Ow. <laughs> No, but I would love to do a deep dive of the Salem Witch Trials and how it reflects witches in horror movies. Because there's a lot of them out there. A lot of witches or horror movies? Well, there's a lot of horror movies that depict witches in them. But there's quite a few that reflect on the Salem Witch Trials, like Hocus Pocus and the Lords of Salem. The film was shot in only 25 days. Really? Yeah, it took 25 days to film. Well, there isn't much in the film, so... Well, it all takes place in specifically one location. Hmm. Which, by the way, according to cinematographer Jaren Blaschk, the film was shot mostly in available and natural light. So they didn't use a lot of artificial lighting in this one. And they didn't really use a studio either. I would assume not, since it mostly... They're on location. Yeah, it looks like (laughs) it mostly takes place on location like out in the wilderness, which is great. I wonder if they actually shot it in Connecticut, because most of the time when they do a setting in something in a movie, it's not really in the same place. Mm -hmm. The movie stars Anya Taylor-Joy as Thomason. Yeah, and this is her first role. This is her film debut, yes. Yeah, which that's crazy. The Witch? Mm -hmm. That's nuts. Ralph, Ralph Einson as William... Harvey Scrimshaw as Caleb. Who, yeah, is Caleb the, yeah. Caleb's the oldest brother, but yeah. he's not older than Thomason, which we will get into. Kate Dickey as Catherine. Ellie Granger as Mercy. And Lucas Dawson as Jonas. Like I said, this was Anya Taylor-Joy's film debut. And in an interview that Anya Taylor-Joy gave to Vogue magazine on September 17th, 2021, she revealed some items she carries inside her purse. One of them... It was a tarot deck of cards. She said that she likes to read the tarot to people at parties or in reunions with her friends. Now, I, too, have a tarot deck collection. I actually got a new deck over the weekend of Universal Monster deck, which I'm very excited to, like, crack open and get familiar with. But Don't get her started. 
Yeah, tarot decks are often associated with witchcraft. People often look to tarot when they want some sort of insight or if they're looking for guidance or insight into their lives. I like tarot. I think it's very intriguing. Most of the film's dialogue and story were based on writings from the time. There is actually a little scripture thing in the beginning that claims that most of the dialogue used in the movie was pulled from references of actual written literature of the time. So records of witch trials and all that stuff, which I think is very cool. What do you think? I think it's intriguing, especially that back in the day when witchcraft first started and stuff, it wasn't as popular as it is now. It was very um, hush-hush. Yeah. Like, seriously, back then, if you were a woman or someone that, like, had, you know, something to do with, like, medicine... And, like, you were doing stuff like that and you were kind of, like, you know, curing people without doing, like, the normal way. Well, not even that because back then... You know what I mean in a more spiritual aspect. I get what you mean, but this is the thing that I think people kind of, like, have a hard time remembering. Back then, medicine was not where it is today. Yeah, people used herbs and tonics to cure certain ailments but a lot of people at the time were puritans and they believed that if they prayed hard enough as depicted in this movie then that person would be cured of their sickness yeah that's because it's god's will yeah right but that doesn't work that way it doesn't always work that way but you are right in the sense that some people like medicine men or medicine women or midwives or people who or even people who were considered outsiders or were framed Well, yeah, people who are considered outsiders or outcasts or even like spinster women were often accused of witchcraft Mm. or just anybody who, like if you were a person who was not well liked by the community and somebody pointed the finger at you and called you a witch, people are going to agree. Or if you were non-Puritan. Yeah, if you didn't conform to like the Puritan ways and the Puritan lifestyle, which like I said, we'll get into. I probably would have died back then because I would definitely not want to be part of that, you know, Puritan society. Yeah. Because it's just, I don't know, it just wasn't my thing, especially when everyone believed in the same system that they think that something exists, but when really does it, you know? I mean, when you deconstruct it as a whole, religion can be a very scary and dangerous thing. I mean, when you look at how people look at religion today, some people who are people of faith, whether it's Christianity, Catholicism, or some extremist form of religious groups, take things to certain extremes that can be dangerous and harmful to other people. And it's no different than what people back then did to, like I said, people who were considered outcasts. Exactly. Or people who are socially taboo. Mm-hmm. You know, that's just how it was back then. But nowadays, we're able to actually critically think about what is being said and coming up with our own judgment as to whether or not is this sort of mindset appropriate? Is it going to harm other people? Which it does. And what can we do to make it so that people don't get hurt in the process. And at least they don't, like, they're not putting people on trial now for what they believe in or what they're accused of. Right. Because, like, a lot has changed since that time. At least we're not killing people. And in Salem today, like, a lot of people, like, yes, the whole town itself kind of thrives off the notion that we had witch trials here that murdered innocent people. 
But we learn from it and we actually honor those people who lost their lives. And it's a historical moment that we actually learn from and not one that we just repeat over and over and over again. Like we learn from the Salem witch trials and we never forget these things because of things like pop culture and media, Mm -hmm. you know, which is important. According to Robert Eggers, Scrimshaw was directed by Ralph Einson. Eggers didn't have children at the time, while Eisen was a father of two and frequently worked as an acting instructor to children and knew better how to coach a young boy. This was not planned, but Eggers admitted to Einson catching on that Scrimshaw had a hard time understanding Eggers' direction. Mm-hmm. And... Einstein, like I said, is the guy who plays William, the father of the family. Yeah. And Scrimshaw is Caleb. So oh. I think that's really interesting. And it's very important, too, because there's a lot of moments like this where Caleb is almost shadowing his father, almost learning to be the man of the house. Because William is showing him how to hunt. He's showing him how to check the hunting traps. He's letting him in on all these secrets, like we'll get into later. But he's like showing Caleb what it means to be a man of faith, to know your scripture and follow what it means to be a good Christian. Yeah. He's guiding Caleb in a way that Einstein would guide Scrimshaw to be a good actor, which I think is really cool. But is there anything you want to highlight before we get into the plot? Um, I mean, I don't want to highlight something that, you know, if I say something, you're just be like, wait till we talk about that. So, I mean, that's why yeah, I'm waiting. Yeah, if it comes up later on, you can talk about it. Yeah, that's why I'm waiting. So, all right. Go on the plot. Okay, so the plot. Our movie takes place in 1630 colonial New England. It begins with English settler William and his family, wife Catherine, teenage daughter Thomason preteen son Caleb, and fraternal twins Mercy and Jonas, being banished from their Puritan community over religious disputes. They settle down near a large secluded forest and build a farm and plant corn crops. During this time, Catherine gives birth to their fifth child, Samuel. While Thomason plays peekaboo with him, Samuel suddenly disappears. Later that night, it is revealed that a witch has stolen and killed Samuel to use his body to make a flying bomb. Which, it's so funny how you use pure baby, like this this pure, beautiful, innocent little boy, turn him into gel or whatever, yeah. smear it all over you, and make you float. Is that what babies do? Now, here's the thing. I mean, it is talked about in the movie between Caleb and William about how babies are born naturally with sin and until they are baptized and take their first communion, as Christians do. And until those things happen, babies are often born naturally of, full of sin. And because Samuel had <laughs> and because Samuel had not been baptized yet, he was still considered a unbaptized soul. That's why, because of me growing up, I was never baptized, so I was born of sin. She, the rest of the family, like my cousins, they all got baptized Catholic. A mom never baptized us anything because she wanted us to have our own opinions, our own views. That's nice. Yeah, so at least we got that. Wait, were you baptized? Yep. So you're... N- oh, I'm sinning. You're you're good. You're safe. But I never took my first communion, though. <sighs> Great, you're fucked. No, no. It just means I can't go up and, you know, do the wine and wafer thing. Really? At every mass. No. Mm. That's, that's just the only thing. Wine does sound good right now. Yeah, I don't like wine. 
Yeah, you anyway. do. You've tried a few wines. I like you? wine slushies. If a church served wine slushies in the Asher, <laughs> I wish they would. That'd be sweet. But the, the, that's the notion of this family and their religion. Although it is mostly depicted in movies and media that babies are born pure of soul because they're too little to commit any sort of sin. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not really ready for that because I'm an infant. Yeah. So. Right. So they're they're too young to commit any sort of sinful acts. So therefore, they're essentially born pure souls, which is very, very interesting when you look at this as a whole, because if Samuel is unbaptized and he's born of sin, mm-hmm. then it wouldn't make sense for a witch to just take him, murder him, which off screen, by the way, it's implied that Samuel is murdered. But they don't actually show it happen. Because it cuts... Like, as soon as we see the witch have a knife hovering over Sam's body, it cuts to black. And then the next frame you see mm-hmm. is the witch's back. And she's, like, over a butter churn. And she's, like, turning something that we can only assume is Samuel's body in there. And then she's rubbing her body and her broomstick with his blood. Which is gross. But the actress who played the witch, by the way, her name is Bathsheba Garnet. And she had some difficulty preparing for the scene where her character kills Samuel. Her acting technique is to try to find one redeeming quality in her characters to add layers of depth to them. It was almost impossible for her in this role. She eventually succeeded by getting into the mindset of Peta as a hungry individual who eats this cute baby because she sees it, not as a living creature, but like an object she must consume to survive. Ew. Yep. I don't know if that's some sort of odd method of method acting, but mm. that is an interesting thought process. Catherine is devastated by her loss and spends her days crying and praying. William and Caleb go hunting in the woods where Caleb asks if Samuel's soul went to heaven. In response, William admits that he secretly traded Catherine's silver cup, a family heirloom, for hunting gear. At the farm, the twins taunt the family's goat, Black Philip. The children claim he talks to them. Catherine blames Thomason for misplacing her silver cup and blames her for the loss of Samuel. Later that night, the children overhear their parents make plans to send Thomason back to the plantation to serve another family. Really? Yeah. You don't remember that? Yeah. And you know what's funny? I've seen this movie like a million times and I don't remember that part. Unless they... Sometimes I can't understand the way they're, they're talking, so maybe they said it in a different way that I didn't know. Yeah, the dialogue is very old English. Yeah. And that's another thing, too, I want everybody to remember going into this. So these are settlers that originally came from England. And out of everybody in the family, the parents, Thomason and Caleb, are the only family members who remembered life before settling in New England. So they remember what it was like to live in England, to practice their religion there, to have their old homes. Like, there's even a part in the opening scene where William says, we left everything, our father's homes, our livelihoods, and all that. Like, that's what they left behind to come here to pursue their own version of religious freedoms. Only for it to be way more strict and way more, I would say, barbaric because of how they spin their narratives to make it work for their own benefit. But that is essentially what they came here for. Okay. So I think that's a very interesting concept. But at the 12 minute and 40 second mark, William is shown holding a rotten cob of corn, which has been mistaken for ergot, 
a fungus that produces the hallucinogen ergotamine. It's been accepted as a cause of hysteria involved in cases of witchcraft. However, ergot is most commonly found on rye and other cereal grasses and does not grow on corn. And in Bosque mythology, the black goat is a commonly known figure related to the devil. Francisco de Goya painted about witches and a black goat in 1798. The term aclera is is popularly spread with the quote, and I'm going to butcher this pronunciation. I apologize if I do. The Zugramarudi, Zugramarudi, which is burning process. During the Spanish Inquisition in 1610, just a few years before Salem's own trials. In that judgment, some Bosque women were found guilty for being witches and for participating in satanic rituals, similar to the one appearing in the movie, and were burned alive. So this is, I have a picture pulled up on the computer, but Colin, this is the painting that I mentioned. I would love that. I mean, I would love that as a Grease Creepers poster for like flyer. Yeah, I mean, I can definitely see, I mean, this, this painting definitely highlights uh, the ending of the movie. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, I'll I'll post this picture too when I post the episodes, post on Instagram. Yeah. But I think that this is a very interesting concept. It's pretty much like a witch's Sabbath. Yeah. In short. Actually, I love me a good witch's Sabbath. And I love me a good black Sabbath. Not only the band, but the movie, too, with uh, Boris Karloff. Mm-hmm. Which, isn't that movie Black Sabbath about witches, too? What was it called again? What did you say? Black Sabbath. I mean, Probably. Because Sabbath has something highly to do with witches. I think Black Sabbath is an Italian horror film, isn't it? Well, it has Boris Karloff in it. Okay. Yeah, so. All right. The next morning, Thomas and Caleb sneak into the forest to check on the hunting traps. Their dog, Fowler, takes off after a hare with Caleb in pursuit. The hare startles their horse and throws Thomason off and knocks her unconscious. Caleb becomes lost and discovers Fowler's mangled body. As he walks further into the woods, he discovers a hut where the witch, taking the form of a young woman, appears and kisses him. Thomason wakes up and finds her way home. As Catherine chastises her for taking Caleb into the woods, William defends Thomason by admitting that he stole the cup. And that's the thing, too, that I always thought was so weird from the jump. He admits to Caleb that he took their mother's silver cup and sold it for hunting gear. And then when she accuses Thomason, both William and Caleb just kind of look at each other like, do we do something? Like she's she's berating Thomason for something we both know she clearly didn't do. So I I just think that it's really harsh that, you know, it took this long for William to speak up. Because none of this is Thomason's fault. Because the thing about what happens with Thomason in the beginning is, like I said, she's playing peekaboo with Samuel. And they're very far away from the tree line where it almost seems impossible for a wolf to come out and take Samuel without there being some sort of noise yeah. or footprints. Like you hear crackling. In the you st- would hear some sort of struggle and a cry. Mm-hmm. Like I think it would just be very weird that a wolf would run out in the woods. You and have take to the hear baby. noise no matter what. You would have to hear some sort of noise, but the fact that it happens so quick and out of nowhere, like Samuel's there one minute and just gone the next, 
it's almost impossible for a wolf to have taken him. And that's the narrative they have spun to explain his disappearance. Mm-hmm. And Catherine blames Thomason because, of course, Thomason was the last person to see Samuel alive. In colonial New England, hares were considered magical creatures in their own right. They were often associated with witches, either as a milk hare, which stole or spoiled milk from the farm animals, or the witch themselves, who were taught able to turn into a hare in order to spy on and influence people, which I think is very clever. Mm-hmm. If that is true, that is very clever. Because think about it, hares and rabbits, they're, they're seemingly innocent. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, they're seemingly innocent passive creatures that don't attack. They just sit there and stare. Which is interesting. I guess. It makes it the perfect disguise to eavesdrop on people. Oh, so the witch uh, disguised as a rabbit? No, but they're saying, like, they're saying here in colonial New England, hares are considered magical creatures, often associated with witches, uh, who were taught able to turn into a hare in order to spy on and influence people. Mm. So like I'm saying, if that were the case, it's a pretty clever disguise. Because like I said, hares are seemingly passive creatures. Mm-hmm. You know, like innocent. You know what I mean? Yes, I know. So that night, Caleb returns to the farm naked, delirious, and mysteriously ill. Catherine suspects that Caleb is a victim to witchcraft and prays for his health. The following day, Caleb goes into violent seizures and proclaims his love for God before dying. The twins accuse Thomason of practicing witchcraft, but she in turn accuses the two of them for their supposed conversations with Black Philip. Angered by these accusations, William locks the remaining children in the goat house. <laughs> it is it, it is a very big, like, ordeal. Because let's be honest, and I'm going to backtrack a little bit. Because when we see the twins, like, chase the goat around the farm, they're singing this little nursery rhyme about Black Philip, right? And Black Philip's getting all riled up and rowdy because of it. Yeah. And Thomason's just annoyed with their behavior because they're acting childish and she's got to do all these farm chores and they're not well, helping. Well, that's the whole point. They're kids. Yeah, they're kids, but they're still expected to carry their own weight just like everybody else. I mean, they're a family of four. Well, it was five, but now they're well, four. Yeah, exactly. Now they're a family of three because one is dead now after. Yeah, but the thing is, though, is like, when you're a family of farmers and you don't have any other support to help you with your crops, you have every it's like all hands on deck at this point. Whether you're a younger child or an older adult, you have to pull your own weight and be able to help maintain the farm. Otherwise, the farm's going to go under. And then essentially in this time, they're preparing for the winter, which is why the parents were planning on sending Thomason away because... They didn't want to have to worry about all these mouths they'd have to feed. Between Caleb and the twins and the two parents, there was no way they were going to be able to afford to feed all of them. Oh, God. That's so sad. Yeah, it is. And then with Samuel's disappearance, it only causes the two younger children to start taunting Thomason. And she, instead of, like, arguing back with them because she's like, you know... These are children. They're going to say shit. They're going to make up shit. You Mm -hmm. know, who am I to argue against them? I might as well just taunt them right back, throw it right back in their face. And that's why we have that scene by the river where she's like, I be the witch of the wood. I I was the one who took Samuel and killed him and served him to my master. Like, you know, all that stuff. So she's throwing it right back at Mercy. Mercy's getting terrified. Caleb's just assuring her, like, Thompson's just joking. 
Thompson, leave her alone. But Mercy's like getting scared shitless and she's like, I don't know what to believe anymore. So now with Caleb dying and all this bad luck bestowing onto the family, Mercy and Jonas have no other like, like they're, they're, they're in a weird position too because they're so little. Like they're expected to help pray with their family to pray over Caleb, but they don't remember their prayers. And because of that, they start to feign these fits, which is another thing that happened in the witch trials. These young children would feign these fits or these seizure spells, and then they would blame it on people hexing them or cursing them or bewitching them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Yeah. So it's, it's sort of parallel to that in a sense, too. Hmm. The burial scene is a clear callback to the art piece Angelus from Jean-Francois Millet. Uh, there is no confirmation or mention about this homage from the very own words of director Robert Eggers. But have you seen that painting? Uh, what's it look like again? Uh, I forgot to pull it up, but give me a moment. I will pull it up. Okay. But you know how you see the scene where the parents are preparing to bury Caleb? Mm. Yeah, it's this painting. Oh, okay. Yeah, this is similar to that scene. So it's just a, a farmer couple standing over a basket with a farm or harvest crop in the background. Mm-hmm. So I think that's very interesting. Especially after I looked up the painting and I noticed the similarities. I thought that was really cool. At midnight, the kids awaken to find the witch drinking the blood of a nanny goat. Back in the house, Catherine experiences a hallucination in which Caleb and Samuel are still alive. In her vision, she holds Samuel and nurses him, but in reality, a raven is pecking at her breast. At dawn, William discovers the goat house broken open, the goats disemboweled, the twins missing, and an unconscious Thompson. As she awakens, Black Philip stabs and kills William with his horn. An unstable Catherine attacks Thompson for everything that has happened, and in self-defense, Thomason kills her mother. At night, Thomason re-enters the goat house and urges Black Philip to speak to her. The goat responds in a human voice and transforms into a dark and handsome man. That shit was scary as fuck. I love that scene, though. And I actually thought, for, for a long time, I thought Black Steve's name was, uh, was uh, Black You Phillip thought was... Black Philip's name was Black Steve. You kept saying that, and I thought you were just fucking with me. No, but Because actually, you're a troll. Yeah, no, I really thought that was his real name for years. He tells Thomason to undress and sign her name in a book, promising the life she has always wanted. Thomason then enters the forest nude and accompanied by Black Philip, where she finds a coven holding a witch's Sabbath around a bonfire. The witches begin to levitate and Thomason joins them, rising above the trees. Have you actually seen Black Philip in full? I don't oh. like in the scene itself. Maybe where not she's... full, full, but yeah, show me what he looks like. Yeah, because this scene is in the goat house. Just show me. Well, let me give, let me set the scene for our listeners. Oh so Thompson's in the goat house. She's looking at Black Philip. The camera is facing her face. She's talking to Black Philip. She's urging him to speak to her. Speak to me as thou would to Mercy and Jonas. Answer me. And when he doesn't speak for a while, she goes to turn away. And he said, what does thou want? And then she looks back and then they start to converse. And then he says that famous line that I love so much. Would thou like to live deliciously? Or love to live deliciously. I don't know exactly what the wordage is, but it's something along those lines. And he transforms from a goat to a man with spurs on his boots 
This is what he looks like. That's the devil? That's Black Phillip in human form. I'm going to post all of these pictures. All these pictures that are affiliated with the movie, I'm going to post them on Instagram. But that's Black Phillip. Okay. He I looks thought, handsome. I thought that's what he looked like. He looks handsome. I mean, it makes sense. If this man approached me and asked me to sign my name in the book, I would gladly. Like, this This man is amazingly handsome. Like, he's a stud. Look at his hat. Honey, put him down. <laughs> but he's amazing. I don't know who plays him, but he's a gorgeous looking person. The director, Robert Eggers, designed the film to be interpreted interpreted two ways. Literally, as if the family were besieged by real witches and satanic forces, or figuratively, as if the family has succumbed to a shared psychosis due to their strange circumstances and beliefs. There are small hints throughout the film that could serve as reasonable causes behind the events, beyond the obvious supernatural, such as contaminated food causing hallucinations, repressed sexual desires, and extreme isolation. The director stated it is up to the viewer to decide which interpretation is correct. I think it's interesting. If you if you were to look at this movie without knowing anything behind the scenes of it, what would you what would your interpretation be? Do you think it's actual supernatural forces or do you think it's a shared psychosis? I think it's supernatural forces. Mm-hmm. I mean there's a lot of people for years always tried to show evidence that there is no such thing as the supernatural or things that could really flow around or just really show that there is could be evil or something. Yeah, I think those those hints that are mentioned, the contaminated food, the repressed sexual desires and the extreme isolation, those are all heavily implied in this movie with this family because and there's there's one line in this movie that makes total fucking sense. With or without the colonial dialect. But Catherine says to William, our crop is trash. And I totally get that. She spoke so much elegance. The way that she talked in that whole movie, especially in that with that old English dialect. Literally, when he finally came in and burst out open, she said, our corn is trash. Our crop is trash. Well, that too. Our or or is... she said, your crop, referring to William. Yeah. Like... That's the most cohesive thing she'd ever said in the whole fucking movie. Your crop is trash. She was, like she was so honest. And it and then yeah, that could be a thing that causes hallucinations. But like we said, ergot does not grow on rotten corn. It only grows on rye and cereal grains and grass. So unless they're eating things like wheat, which can be made into flour and bread and all those types of products. That could be what causes hallucinations. I mean, that, like I said, that's a commonly deduced theory in the Salem witch trials. A lot of people believe that what caused it was mass hysteria brought on by ergot contamination. I mean, that explains a lot, yes. Right, and then repressed sexual desires. Like, there's a moment after... There's a moment after the opening scene, after the family settles onto their farmland and... We see this scene where Thomason is praying to something, like she's giving a confession in a sense, and she's admitting that she has these feelings that she wants to act on, but she can't because she knows that it's sinful in her heart. And 
Those could be sexual repressions. I mean, we also have a weird incestual moment where Caleb, uh, like, ogles at his sister's tits. Which is, I was going to call Caleb the biggest perv. Like He is a perv. But yeah. he's a preteen boy. He's a prepubescent boy about to hit puberty. And, of course, he's going to look at women like Thomason as attractive women. I just don't want him to go after his, his sister's bosoms. Well, he doesn't live long enough to actually do that, so I don't think we have a problem to worry about there. Yeah. But extreme isolation can also be another thing. I mean, you have essentially a small group, a small family of people who are going at each other because of how isolated they are from the rest of their community. They have nobody else to share this experience with. It's just amongst the five, four of them. So, of course, they have to wonder... Is this a shared hallucination or is this actual works of supernatural forces? Pretty much. So I think that's very interesting. And then one more thing I had to add before I'm done with the review. But the Satanic Temple has endorsed this movie and has hosted several screenings of the film. Their spokesperson, Jax Blackmore, addressed the film as, quote, an impressive presentation of satanic insight that will inform contemporary decision of religious experience. Makes I think sense. that's really intriguing. That's great. We've been to the Satanic Temple in Salem, Massachusetts. Yep, and our honeymoon. Yeah. yeah. It's a beautiful place. I yeah, love... It really is. I love the interior decoration. I wish that could be our, like our house or something. I know. Oh, that'd be nice. The, the throne room was very vibrant. I love the chairs. I want to sit on those chairs again. They have a throne room in the second floor. It's this... Very, very red, vibrant red room with golden accents in the wallpaper. Mm -hmm. And it's just really pretty. There, I I love it. I wish we can go back to Salem, Massachusetts. It was so beautiful there. Honey. I know. Honey. I know. Do you know? Yeah, I do. Because you tell me this all the time. Every time I say, I wish we could move to Salem, you're like, I know, honey. I know. You don't have to remind me. And you have to remind me. <laughs> He's such a brat. Anyway, well, I guess that's it mostly for our uh, podcast review today. Well, what do you have to say, though, about the movie overall? Was there anything you wanted to input before we sign off? Hmm. You know, that's an interesting word that people like to say. Hmm. Input. Yeah. Your opinions and views on what do you think of something that you just talked about. Mm -hmm. And I think myself for The Witch is that I appreciate movies like this. It really comes to show the insight of something historic like this. Mm -hmm. Like a a way different time than what we're used to now. Mm -hmm. I mean, imagine all the stuff that they had back then that we didn't have now, that we don't have now, but we have all that stuff that's part of our now society. Right. But what I'm saying about movies like this, I appreciate so much because it's just what they talk about with witches and stuff like that is very interesting because not all witches are bad. There are good witches, witches, but they're called Wiccans mm-hmm. and, you know, or Wicca or whatever you call Well, them. Wiccans are people who practice Wicca mm-hmm. and Wicca is a type of spirituality that worships the earth and nature they don't necessarily practice in anything like dark magic Mm -hmm. or hexes or anything of the stereotypical like witchcraft phenomena 
But over time, we have grown to learn that there are all different types of witchcraft. Not all of it is evil. There's no, like, dark magic being invoked anywhere. A, a lot of it is used towards the world, towards the earth. Well, there are so many different types of practices. Like, you can literally go on TikTok, look up the witch talk community, and there will be, like, a hundred different types of people in that community telling you about all different types of witchcraft practices. There's kitchen witchcraft. There's garden witchcraft, which they call green witches. There are people who practice divination, like the tarot cards or the crystal balls or the crystal readings or bone readings, for example. Um, there are mediums who talk to the spiritual side of things. There are people who actually worship under certain deities. Like, there are all different types of practices. It's just knowing what kind of, like, if you're somebody who is interested and fascinated in those things and you want to know, like, what type of craft speaks to you and your soul, that's a soul-searching journey that you have to take and figure out on your own. Exactly. Yeah. And I think that's very interesting. But I think what's really even more interesting when we talk about the movie or even when we think about this movie, I think there's a lot of big differences between how this movie depicts witchcraft hysteria mm-hmm. and how other mediums depict witchcraft hysteria. I will tell you this. I have another favorite uh, witch movie, hmm. which, it, no pun intended, is a wonderful movie. And actually, it came out in the 1920s, too. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but it's called Hexen. You told me about it. I haven't watched it. Hexen is so good. Like, seriously, it's literally about the times of, like, uh, the witches and just them kind of, like, playing in with, like, devil worshipping and stuff like that. And just kind of, like, you see, like... The Nine Gates of Hell and all this other crap. And it's just for a movie that came out in the 20s, the practical effects on that thing was just so amazing. So yeah, that's why I enjoy that movie very much so. Mm-hmm. I think if I were to compare this movie to one that's completely different, it wouldn't be a movie, but it would be the TV series Salem. You remember that show? Mm-hmm. I um, actually thought that show was kind of freaky. Yeah, I think it's a CW show, but... It talks about the Salem witch trials like of its time, but Mm -hmm. it implies the idea that some of the people who were accused of witches actually were witches. Yeah. Well, not like in fictional settings, of course. Mm -hmm. So, but you got to think of it of a much more larger, like they're already in colonial Salem town. You know, where there's other civilians and other Puritans and people... Like, getting thrown into the mix of all this craziness that's going on. And then he throwing Cotton Mather and his father, Increase Mather, and all these players who had a pretty big, integral part in most historical witch trials. Yeah. Yeah. But I think that uh, pretty much covers our whole discussion today. Yeah. I mean, I think we covered... To a certain length, we've covered all that we had to cover. Mm-hmm. Like I said, I would like to do a more deep-dive discussion of the witch trials as a whole i think the way that they played out is in of itself a true historical horror story and i think that it really changed the way that we view witches in media Mm-hmm. so exactly yeah but yeah anyway but you're good with everything so other than that 
This has been the Abbey Normal Podcast. Thank you all for listening, as always. I hope you guys enjoy it as much as we do. Tune in. And this has been an episode of the Abbey Normal Podcast. I'm your host, Colin. And I'm Leah. Signing off saying, What's that like to live deliciously? As always, you can find us wherever you get your podcasts. We are currently on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Amazon Music. Be sure to give us a like, subscribe, or a nice review for our podcast. It helps boost our show positively. You can also follow us on Instagram and now on TikTok.